All right. Um, hey, everybody. Good crowd. Uh, you made it. So I uh, hope it wasn't too complicated finding this space. Uh, I have a few housekeeping things, too, um, to add to Ernie's list. Uh, one, can we uh, just say Happy New Year to everybody around you? Uh, to greet all your neighbors. Happy New Year. We won't see each other, and in a few hours, it's going to be 2018. Uh, secondly, out of my list of three, um, as you know, uh, every year, BFIT kicks us out, so Cornerstone becomes homeless. Uh, but every year, we don't cancel service. We have somewhere to go because we have different uh, ministry friends and brothers and sisters in Christ around the city who welcomed us. And uh, obviously, the Symphony Church has welcomed us. Pastor David um, is here somewhere. Is he maybe out there or somewhere? Oh, he's in there. But um, they're not going to know, but <laughs> I mean... I'm sure the church people may not know that we're here or anything, but uh, can we just, like, if you see him later, be sure to thank him for welcoming us in here. Um, it's, it stinks that, like, we have the issue with BFIT every year, but it's also really cool that God provides for us a place every single year with through friends. So um, let's, uh, in our hearts at least, and, and mentally, give thanks to God for our friends at Symphony. Um, and lastly, housekeeping, this is Myung's last Sunday. So he's leading worship with, for us today and um, packing and leaving tomorrow. Leaving tomorrow to New York, so don't let him get away without saying goodbye. Um, give me, giving him a hug and a kiss and a pat on the butt and sending him on his way. New York's not that far. A lot of you will end up going to New York, and you'll, I'm sure you'll grab a meal together, and we'll see him uh, very often. But uh, do say thank you to him before, before he takes off. So that's all my housekeeping. Um, let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump in. Uh, God, thank you for how good you are to us, and I pray that as we sang, um, yeah, that our greatest and sole desire would be to lift your name high. Um, that's what this church is about, and that's what we want each and every single one of our individual lives to be about, to be about being worshipful and giving praise and lifting the name of Jesus higher and higher. And we want this year, this past one, and this coming one to be no different. Um, to not be marked by all the things that we liked or disliked or things that in our eyes went well or didn't go well. Um, but rather, we want to measure our years based upon your glory and how much we humbly submitted before you and gave you worship. And so, Lord, would you just um, help us to get into that spiritual posture as we say goodbye to 17 and hello to 18, um, would this pivotal time not, yeah, it's a little bit of a coincidence, you know, New Year's Eve isn't always on Sunday, and we don't always meet for church service, but as it did land on this day today, I pray that this pivot moment uh, would really be a time for us to um, focus our eyes and our hearts and our attention on you and uh, how we worship you and how our lives are committed to bringing you praise. Um, and would the service be all about that? And uh, um, we just want to enjoy you more and give you more glory as this year changes. So thanks again for giving us a space, for allowing us to be together. Be with uh, the many, many of our friends who are home traveling um, or spending the holidays elsewhere. Um, but for every person in here, we're grateful to be together. Um, yeah, so delight, take delight in this service as we commit it to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this uh, past week, I spent um, a fair amount of time researching the different 
customs around the world uh, that happens on at the hinge of New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, I was thinking about it, and I realized we don't really have many in America. I mean, there's like the New York uh, City, the ball that drops, but other than that, people kind of do their own thing. But in other countries, apparently, there are things that are kind of more of a collective, like we all do this together kind of customs, right? So, for example, one thing that I learned was that in Denmark, uh, people will go on uh, New Year's Eve to their friends' homes and smash plates in front of their front doors. And then the idea is that when the clock strikes midnight, Happy New Year, and they go out to their doors with the hopeful expectation that there's a mess in front of their door, meaning that they'll have good luck for the year. So if somebody wasn't nice enough to smash a plate and vandalize your property, then apparently that's like bad luck for you. I, I never knew that. Uh, in South America, not all the South American com- countries, but a handful of them, apparently people on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day will walk around with an empty suitcase to symbolize the coming adventures in the coming year. Uh, and then the most popular ones involve food, right? So lots and lots of countries uh, and cult- different cultures have a particular meal that they will eat on New Year's Day, which, again, symbolizes good fortune and good luck. So in Brazil, I guess they eat like heavy uh, or lots of lentils in their meal. It's like kind of the staple. Uh, in Korea, many of us know we eat rice cake soup. In Spain, this is something I learned that people eat grapes, and they'll eat 12 of them one representing each month of the year in order to be like, hey, good luck for every month, and they pop in a grape. So I was thinking about these customs, right? And again, I was like, well, I guess the state, maybe, maybe the, the American one is resolutions, right? But, but firstly, thinking about these foods that we'll eat, like m- my wife and I, tomorrow, we're going to eat rice cake soup too. We're going to drive to New Jersey, we're going to eat this, and oh, good luck, we got to eat the first meal. Uh, a lot of it is really like surface level, right? Like, Good luck, good fortune. We hope that, you know, adventures to come in my empty suitcase in 2018. And then if we were to kind of transfer over to American culture with resolutions, some of them are very meaningful, but then also a lot of them are kind of surface level. Uh, Not so much depth. Like, I want to, in 2018, I'm going to go to the gym more often and eat well and lose weight. In 2018, I'm going to scratch a couple things off my bucket list. In 2018, I'm going to travel more, and I can't wait to go to this country and see these things. And, and not that any of that is bad. I mean, in fact, I actually really, really enjoy those types of resolutions, so please try them and do them. I, I like that. But I was thinking about the position that I have in preaching our New Year service and ushering in 2018, kind of looking back in 2017. I was thinking, what do I want us as Cornerstone to be doing? I don't want us to just look at each other, shake hands, say Happy New Year, and say, oh, I hope you have good luck and good fortune. I want for us as a church to look for something as we, at this pivotal transition of the year, to have more depth, and not to look for like these self-help kind of remedies, but rather look into 2018 with the hope and expectation that we'll grow closer to God. Wouldn't, let's say, 12, 31, 18, so one year from now, how, how glad would you be to look back and say, wow, I got so much closer to Jesus in 2018, as opposed to, I went to Denmark and smashed plates in 2018. You know, like, this is what I'm hoping for us, for our resolutions and our customs and the things that we set for ourselves now, today, and hopefully even for our families in the future, as the church, to make our resolve or our resolution to revolve around, first, worship to God, And second, what is beneficial to our souls, not just to our fortune, whatever it is that even means. And so today, 
I want to propose, I don't know if this has ever happened before, maybe before my time here, but that we collectively have a church resolution, that cornerstone every single one of us, together our New Year's resolution, be that we grow in our trust in God. And that's why I asked Myung to lead us in those songs. We we sang about how we trust in God's unfailing love. And my prayer this whole week that it it was just been growing on me. I I started this uh, two, three weeks ago wondering what, I mean, I have freedom to preach whatever I want on New Year's Eve. And what do I want us to start the year on? And I want us in 2019 to look at this year and say, man, my trust in the Lord got stronger. And in order to... uh, hopefully do that and figure that out together. I want to look at a very, very familiar, uh, memorized, and uh, famous passage in, in Proverbs. So we're going to be reading just a few verbs and pro- uh, verses in Proverbs chapter 3. So let's look up on uh, either one of the screens. Proverbs 3, and we're going to just start from 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're just going to have two quick points. First point from Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 being, Trust God because his ways are higher than our ways. In 2018, this year, we can trust God because his ways are just so much higher than our ways. In this passage, we see the command to trust God and not to trust ourselves. Let's look at um, verses 5 and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. So this word of wisdom is pretty clear in these first, in, in verses 5 through 7, that all God's children ought to trust him and not ourselves, not relying on our own knowledge, our wisdom, our gut even, because God is the one who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and trustworthy. And, and this word, lean, do not lean on your own understanding. There's two words in this that I'm uh, in the passage, and I'll talk about the next one later, that I'm not a huge fan of in the English. Um, when I think lean, I kind of think like inclination, like, like just sort of like softly, like inclining towards something. But the Hebrew word is more of like this desperation. So he's saying, do not like support yourself. Do not rely. Is, rely would be a good word. Do not depend on yourself. Don't see yourself as wiser than you think you are. Don't lean on your own understanding. And he says, fear God, fear the Lord in verse 7, because the fear of God puts our wisdom into its proper perspective, right? Don't we a lot of times need a little bit of coaching? Hey, remember how God, I mean, how big God is? And then when we have that fear of his majesty and the fact that he created all things, then it makes us realize and remember we're really small. And so he says, fear the Lord, be not wise in your own eyes. Trust in God because his ways are so much higher than ours. Uh, This past week, or um, when was it? Right before Christmas, I flew back on Christmas Eve. I was down in Virginia preaching at a youth retreat, and it was very energetic. (laughs) Um, Lots of kids, like 13 to 14-year-olds running around, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But as I was observing them, kind of in shock, 
I was thinking, what was I like when I was their age, right? And I was adjusting my sermons and just, okay, like, what was I like? What was I like? I kept trying to go back into what, what met, like, uh, struck me in sermons back then. And as I was thinking, what was I like? I thought that this really, really, what I say is a critical moment in my life where I had this crush on this girl in my school. I'm not going to name her because I grew up here. One of you guys could be her, like our coworker or something. <laughs> Someone's accounting firm she's working. I don't know. Anyway, so I think I was their age, like 12 to 13, and I had this crush on this girl for two years. By the way, Jason Paik would know her too. So don't talk to Jason Paik. He's not here. <laughs> anyway, so I keep digressing. It's really embarrassing. So I was two two-year crush, and I was, I thought, well, no, I knew, I knew that I was madly in love with this girl as a 12-year-old. And, and all my friends, you know, they were so immature, right? They had crushes for like two months at a time. I was like, two years. These, these kids don't even know what true love is, right? I felt so mature and like above them. And it lasted so long that everybody in my grade knew that I was madly in love with this girl, including her. Um, anyway, so the, the years pass. And one of my really close friends, he walks, he was, he was the cool kid, right? He, he was the reason why I learned guitar. Uh, his dad and he like... He, he, like, would teach me, like, Eric Clapton songs and stuff, like, really good-looking, good at basketball. And he comes up to me by my locker one day, and, you know, changing books in the locker. You remember those? Um, and he said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And he goes, so I started dating the girl. Oh. So I was crushed, right? Like, I thought my life was over, and I would see them, like, walking around the hallways together, and they're, like, just stomping on my poor, broken heart, Right? And he was my good friend. And then, again, we're 12-year-olds. Now that I look, think back, I'm like, wow, 12-year-olds are so stupid. But anyways, when I, I was 12, he called me. He's like, hey, can you, can you give me any advice on what I should get her for her birthday? I'm like, dude, leave me alone, right? Like, you're just like rubbing salt into the wound. Anyway, so I was convinced that nothing else in this world could be as hard as this. My life is over. Like, it's the most, this greatest anguish and pain that any human could experience, like, you know, my, my therapy, what, what, you know, 90s kids therapy is boy bands, right? <laughs> like, you guys wonder how I know all the Backstreet Boys lyrics? You know, qu quit playing games with my heart, right? Like, I was all into this. And if I could go back in time, I would just, like, shake 12 years, or same height, so like, shake, <laughs> shake up here. Shake 12-year-old Danny and say, hey... Your life is not over, right? All, everybody here can think of something where you were younger and you were convinced that your life was over. But I would go back and shake him and say, dude, don't worry. You're not going to think of her until you're a 30-year-old pastor preaching at some church. You won't care where she's at. You won't be thinking you weren't really in love. It's going to be okay. We're too, you're too close, you know, to the picture. You need to kind of take a step back and, and see everything. And you're too emotional. You're too close to what's going on. Now, I share this story. I mean, it's real. I'm not, it, it, it counts. Like, it, it's, it's real, honest advice. And that's what I would say. But I'm not saying that to minimize all of our real problems, right? Things that if somebody said, it's going to be okay, like kind of flippantly, like a, treating you like a little kid, it would be offensive. But I think whether the, the, the severity of our issues, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, something that it's really interesting to me that a lot of times as we, as we get older and as time passes by, our attitudes do change about it, even if we don't see what the purpose was. 
Think about pain that you or something confusing or a moment in your life where you felt really lost. I think when we've separated, we are able to see, no, like, everything is still okay. And not of all, we, we may have never received the answer from God. Oh, I put you through that hardship because of this. We may never have received that. But if we can just imagine, oh, if I could go back to my 20-year-old self when I was in college or my 15-year-old, like, I would give myself this advice that it's going to be okay. And I wonder if that's what God is do, trying to do to us all the time. I know what I'm doing. My ways are just higher than yours. You just can't understand it, but I know what I'm doing. It's going to be okay. Trust me. I love you more than you can fathom, and it's hard for you to understand because you're too close to the situation. But trust me. I feel like the advice that we want to give to ourselves, God gives it to us. He wants to give It's whether or not we're listening, right? But he wants to say that to us all the time. And a couple years ago, um, Tim Keller put up this tweet, tweet on his Twitter account. Uh, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Let me read that one more time. If we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. God's ways are higher than ours, right? His knowledge is just too great. And if we were to actually see the full picture, that unfortunately we won't, or many of us will not, we would still ask for the same thing. I agree with this quote, and I think it's a kind of succinct and really beautiful way, uh, um, a way to communicate what the proverb is saying or what the verses that we read in chapter 3. So I want to ask you all, Cornerstone, if if, if whether now, like right now, or sometime recently, you've been in a place where you felt lost or confused or in pain or grief or one of those situations. And just to say, trust in God. Rely on him. Depend on him fully. Don't lean on your own understanding. Because his ways are so much higher than our ways. His ways are a lot higher than our ways. The second point that we see from this proverb is trust God because his ways are for his glory and for our good. His ways are always for his glory, always for our good. Let's read 6 and 8. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. We can trust God because his ways, his decisions, his paths, his, his methods, they're always for his glory first and foremost. And secondly, for the good of the children that he loves. They're always, always for our good. And if we acknowledge him, he says that he will keep our path straight, meaning that he'll keep us from straying or going down crooked paths. And acknowledge, that's the other word that I was mentioning a second ago that I'm like, ah, like I get why they used it, but I'm not a fan. Because when I think acknowledge, I kind of think like you walk into a room and there's a bunch of friends and you kind of like give a nod or a wave and you acknowledge them. It, it, it's very distant. But this word could not be like more opposite of the distance of acknowledging, it comes from the Hebrew verb root to know, which is really, really intimate. Uh, it's used in a million, uh, I mean, many different ways in the Hebrew Bible. And one of them is used in sex. So at, like you might know in some translations, uh, it says Adam knew Eve. 
Adam slept with Eve, right? Knowledge, like this knowing. So it's an intimacy that comes with this verb. So it's getting close, like digging into Jesus, getting tight with him. It's knowing him and then following him, not just like, oh, like acknowledge, yeah, I agree with this word and, and move on. But it's, no, press in, get intimate, and he will make your path straight. Let's follow him. When you intimately know and follow Jesus, it's going to be for our good. And I love this, like, language that's so clear about health, right? It will be healing and refreshment to your bones. God working in his ways, which are always for our very best. The past few years, I've been reading a lot of books on how to uh, uh, speak to and counsel and walk alongside people who are going through this type of stuff where it's hard to trust God, whether it's grief or pain or confusion, like, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things that I always felt, but I never was able to compute in my own brain and put words to, uh, until I read a book that was based upon a study and a survey study from an author, was how so many people, we want to help each other, but we don't know what to say, right? So, so I, I'm pretty sure all of us have experienced this in one way or another, right? Your, let's say your friend loses their job, or your roommate, their grandparent, or their sibling passes away, or something really difficult happens in someone's life, and you're at a loss for words. You, you're kind of like, ah, I don't know, like my roommate's grandfather recently passed away, and like, I'm like just sitting there, and I don't know what to say to make them feel any better. And as Christians, one of the, thing, one of the reasons, this wasn't in the book, but something that, I don't know, I just feel convinced about, I think that a lot of us are at a loss for words because we don't want to say biblical truth sometime. We've gotten to this place where somehow biblical truths and characteristics about God have been deemed overly cliche or Christianese or um, even like filler. Has anybody ever, your friend, ever been struggling really bad and you wanted to say, hey, just trust in God, but you almost felt bad about it? Do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't want to say that because it sounds lame, or like, it might even offend them. They, they, they don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear you just say, trust in God. Like, what do you, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, this happens to us, where we feel a little bit of fear, and that makes me so sad. It makes me so sad that we get to a place where biblical truth, and not just biblical truth, but biblical truth that so many, of, if not all of us, are desperate to hear over and over again, is unsayable, unspeakable. There's just so much needed truth in the statements. You can trust God. He knows what he's doing. He loves you. His ways are for your good. It's a hard situation, but he's... We just got to trust that he's doing something. It's not cliche. It's not passing comment. It's, it is what we need. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but can say that in our hearts that we desperately, there, maybe now or maybe in the past, but definitely if not that in the future, there will be a time where we need desperately to hear, know, and believe that I need to trust in God through this situation. Trusting that God's ways are always for our good is something that every single one of us is going to have to reconcile in our faith. We're going to have to reconcile it, and I hope for your good that it's early. 
Because there are going to be many moments in life where you're going to encounter the gamut of trial, of suffering, of confusion, of like lostness, of everything under the sun. And trusting in God is going to be the truth that enables you to stay grounded. It's the firm foundation in the central belief that God is trustworthy. Do you ever find yourself or the people around you getting angry or depressed or like shaken up or unhinged when something goes really bad in life? I think, and I say this sensitively, I think it's because we have a really narrow definition of what God's love is. If we were to define God, God loves me really narrowly, then of course when things are outside of those definitions, we get shook, we get angry, we get depressed. But his love is so much bigger than that because his ways are so much higher than ours. And the scriptures give us so much to be able to trust that his ways are higher. And so they, because of that, they can be hard for us and confusing But what undergirds that all is that they are absolutely for our good. We can trust it. So in response, I want to ask everybody to think about what your, I mean, some of us have many things, but one thing that you're having difficulty trusting God with right now. And if you have trouble thinking about that, I have a bunch of examples, which I assume hopefully at least one of these will hit you. Um, uncertainty in your future, right? A lot of us have lostness or difficulty in trusting God with that. A lot of us are in school right now. We're in a job that maybe is a stepping stone or uh, we're in a program and studying for school and wondering whether this will even lead to the outcome that you hope for. If a lot of undergrads, like if, we're, if our next goal is law school or med school, whatever school, is like, is, is all my efforts and pouring all my hours in the library even going to get me into the next school? And sometimes we get shook by that or whether you feel like your job is a dead end or whether you want to be in this career and we, we get a little dissatisfied. A lot of us get really unhinged with health, right? It's such a sensitive thing, whether it's our health or the health of our family members or friends or people that you care about, when someone gets sick, it's hard to trust God. Romance. I think this is something in our younger church where it's hard to trust God in a lot of times. In our singleness, like what is God doing keeping me single this long and what's the purpose of it? Or dating, whether it's really hard. Do we, are we meant to be together and, and why does it need to be so difficult? And then marriage, when marriage is hard, it gets hard to trust God because it just feels like there's, there's so much tension And then for the parents, it's so worrying about whether their children will grow up healthy and have a good education and all the fears around that. Some of us don't trust God in our finances. We worry that it's going to run dry and we're going to be screwed. We all have something. I want to encourage us, like now, like this moment, to think about it and to just lift it to God. To trust him to say, your ways are higher than mine. They're always for your glory and for my good. And I trust you. And I want you to think of that thing. I'm not going to project it. I'm just going to read the passage for us one more time. And I just want to ask you to think about that thing as I read for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I do hope that today, now, maybe when you go home this week, that it is refreshing. I do hope that you read this passage and this proverb and you are able to deepen your trust in God and be able to take whatever your thing is and hand it to him and say, I trust you with this. But the reality is that life is going to happen and we're going to get shook, right? Or something else is going to come into play that we don't even know is going to hit us and something else is going to happen and we're going to get tossed to and fro by the pain or the difficulty and the struggle. Many of you know, maybe not everybody, but uh, most of you know, and now everyone, at least here, will know that two and a half years ago, um, my mom passed away after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So she got, she got diagnosed, went through chemo and radiation, and then, and then passed. And I mean, I, I don't really need to explain. I've never experienced more anguish or pain or confusion, or turmoil, or lostness, or just a range of emotions and and tension. One one thing that I was so ignorant about was how much tension can come of grief. Like, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical tension. I... None of you know this. I had to go and get a prescription, like a specialized made uh, night guard, because I was clenching so tightly that my head would throb during the day, and then uh, my dentist was saying that all my nerves and my upper teeth are getting all messed up, and so it's just going to be hypersensitive, and I m- it might lead to this and that, and just pain. And after wrestling with this grief, like a f- maybe two, th- I, I, I don't know the exact date, but maybe two, three months afterwards of just being in this constant like cloud and dragging my feet and feeling excess grief and tension. I remember I was in our bathroom just at the sink and I was confronted with this question. And, and I'm not the type that hears God's voice all the time and like he's always speaking to me audibly, but I felt at the bathroom with my hands on the sink just staring into the mirror that I felt God asked me a very simple and direct question and it was, do you trust me? And then... I followed it up with, well, you know, in what situation, and I started, like, I want to ask questions, and it was a clear, like, no, 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 you shut your mouth, no buts or ifs, or, oh, can I get more specificity, like, oh, I trust you in this way, but this way I'm having a little trouble, no, 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 like, answer the question, it's a yes or no one, do you trust me, yes or no? I hope that answer changes as she gets older. (laughs) And I don't remember what I was doing in the bathroom. I mean, I must have just gotten out of the shower or something, but I didn't have my shirt on. And this this necklace, actually, that my, my mom left me was hanging on my chest. And I look at it. I stared at the cross. And then I said, yes, I do. See, 
we're going to have so many multiple times in life where that's gonna, our trust in God is going to get hinged and shook and made confusing and maybe gray and maybe a little bit lost. But what I want to do as the year changes is ask all of us a cornerstone to just intently fixate our eyes on the cross of Jesus. Because it's exactly at the cross where this proverb comes alive. It's exactly at, this, at the cross of Jesus where we see that God's ways are higher than our ways. And it's exactly at the cross where we see that his ways are always for his glory and then for our good. Right? See, we just celebrated Christmas, right? What happened? So God chooses to redeem a fallen world by sending his son as God incarnate in the flesh. Already, that's higher than our ways, right? If I were God, or if, if I were allowed to give God advice, I would say, don't go through all the trouble. Just forgive them, right? Already, it's higher than our. Why do, go through this trouble? But okay, so I'm not, we're not God. It's higher than ours. He sends Jesus into a poor family, into a difficult life, into a difficult situation politically and even historically. His ways are higher than ours. Then, He decides that the payment for the sins of man would be by this innocent and perfect son of his, not by the ones who committed the sins themselves, us. And that that payment would come through trial and execution, very unjustly, by the way. We're in a season of talking about so much injustice. Who bore injustice? It was Jesus. He was innocent and perfect and went through a trial and execution because God demanded that the payment be blood. If we think about the cross, it is the worst possible outcome. It is the worst case scenario. It is horrific and terrible. It was a Roman execution symbol that was meant to instill fear and strip people of hope. You guys, you know, as I was preparing this, I was thinking of Gethsemane in a different way. Because at Gethsemane, he prays, and this is God, right? Jesus is God, and yet he's in so much anguish that the, the gospels say that blood is dripping from his brow like drops of sweat, and he begs and pleads God, can there be another way? Man, if Jesus himself is begging for a different outcome, how much pain is, like... But out of what God knew, because his ways are higher than ours, to us, what would have and should have been the greatest tragedy... God saw it through as a means of displaying his love that nothing will ever compare with. Now the cross is no longer a symbol of horror and fear and hopelessness. It's the greatest symbol of love, and we put it on our walls. You know, I once heard somebody in college say, can you imagine if, 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 if different religious groups put like, like an electric chair and a noose and like a, a, a syringe with lethal poison? It's... This was never meant to be a good symbol. What if we all like just put up electric, like, like murder, like guns and stuff on our walls? This is an execution device that was turned into something that became a symbol of greatest love. His ways are higher than ours, right? He went about the situation in ways that are higher than ours. And what would have and should have been the worst moment in history became the greatest moment in history that changed everything. 
And so when I'm confused or hurting or in anguish or pain or in tension, I look at the cross and I realize if Jesus was willing to go to the lengths of the cross for God's glory and for our good, then how could I ever not trust him with the situation that's happening right now? How could I not trust him with the entirety of my life, regardless of what he chooses to do? If he was willing to go to those lengths, I can trust him with everything. Even if I never get the answer, even if it always stays negative in my eyes, we can trust him and to say it's, it's submission, right? What, can, what else can you do? You can't do anything. You simply submit and you trust. So those of you who are struggling with trust, I just want to encourage you to look to the cross because we need it. Even if you don't think you do, I'm telling you you do. You need it. Put it on your phone background. You don't need your cute dog on the phone background anymore. Put a cross there. Wear the jewelry, whether it's on your neck, on your ears, on your fingers, or on your toes. If you're into toe rings, it's kind of gross. Do it anyway. Many of you know that I outlined this and I tattooed it to my body. And I'm not suggesting that you do that. I don't want a bunch of angry parents hating Cornerstone. I'm not suggesting that you do that. But the reason why I did is because I didn't want it to be up to me to see it. I can take this off, put it in my pocket, put it in my drawer. I can put Bella on my phone background. I can take off the sticky note from my desk. We had, I, ha, I used to have a cross hanging from my rearview mirror in my car. I can take that off, and I didn't want anything to be in my control to see it. That's how badly I needed it and how much I need it today. I need to see it every day, over and over and over again, as this powerful reminder of how great God's love is for me and how he's so trustworthy because his ways are higher than mine. His ways are always for his glory and for my good. So I'm on this journey of looking to the cross of Jesus and meditating on this sacrifice and allowing, hopefully allowing that to sweetly mature and deepen my trust in him. And I want to invite Cornerstone, all of you, to do that together. For 2018 to be a year in which no matter the circumstance, when you're confronted with that question, do you trust me? That you're able to look to the cross and confidently say, yes, I do. Let's look back on this year and be able to say that our confidence and our trust in God got sweeter and deeper. Let us resolve to grow in that way in this coming year. Let's bow in prayer and uh, just submit ourselves before him now. Um, um, you know, there's some of us who are not experiencing you know, anything like that right now, and, and all of us who are, like, right in the eye of the storm, and, you know, all of this whole spectrum. And regardless of where we're at, we just, all of us need to sweetly 
mature and just deepen our trust in Jesus. I want to ask you all to think of the cross and how that is exactly where we see God's higher ways that are out of love and for his glory and for our good. And my prayer is for you to grow confident in your God through the situation you're going through now as you look to it. So maybe you just need to pray. Um, Maybe you just need to listen. Maybe you just need to picture a mental image of the cross or even just think about what happened on Good Friday and Easter or even what happened on Christmas and Jesus coming to be God with us. I'll leave that up to you. But let's take this next minute just committing it to getting close and digging deeply into Jesus, into his presence with us now as we long to trust him more. Lord Jesus, we pray that in this coming year that you would just continue to be so, so, I mean, just so, so faithful and loving and kind to us. And and we know that is a truth that will never change. But we ask specifically together as Cornerstone to, um, that you would help us to see more and more what the cross means and everything that it means for us. And we pray that that would just lead directly into us being able to trust you no matter the circumstances. I pray that we would look upon the cross with fresh eyes and and fresh spirit and heart and be able to see this great, great display of love. And if you were willing to go through that kind of love, Nothing, nothing, no, not even the most difficult of circumstances in this life could make us question whether you love us or not. And I pray for this church and for all my friends here, Lord, that you would minister to us in solidifying this truth and writing it on our hearts, that it would never be hinged, never be shaken, never be compromised, but permanent. You promised us that life isn't going to be easy. There's going to be trials And so my humble prayer for my brothers and sisters and for myself, would you just permanently etch our deep trust in you for the rest of our lives. May that never be hindered, altered, compromised, or changed because we look to your cross. We see it, and it means everything to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that even though in the garden you pleaded for another way, even though you understood what you had to bear, that you, because of your obedience, your faithfulness, because of your love, you went through it. 
And because you went through it, we have life and we can have life to the fullest and life with joy in you. May 2008 just be all about that, how we love you and trust you and worship you, Jesus. And would you help us along the way when we need it the most? Thank you for this time that we could share together. And thank you as we look forward to this coming year for all the ways we know we can already say it doesn't need to pass that you will continue to be faithful and good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.